podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you once again as always for being here. It's the first podcast, official podcast that is, of 2024 for DNF1 and I figured it would be a great opportunity to reflect a little bit on what went down last season but with a view this time to asking the big questions heading into the 2024 Formula One season. Now, I know that's still a little bit away, but of course, we can always have some fun and talk about what we're hoping to see in 2024 or what we should expect to see in 2024. And I couldn't think of anyone better to join me for this particular episode than the Planet F1 journalist himself covering all things Formula One, a friend of the show, of course, Sam Cooper. Sam, first of all, mate, thanks for coming on the show again. Happy New Year to you. How have you been? Did you have a nice time off? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, all good things. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, happy new year to you too. Yeah, nice little time off for Christmas, but I think we're all sort of ready and waiting now for some F one to F one to reemerge from its winter cocoon. Exactly, and like many journalists, you've been busy, even though it's been a quiet period. Or you know, they say it's a quiet period. It's never quite quiet for journalists, I imagine. But uh, you've been quite busy covering a lot of stuff in the off season. But I wanted to talk about some of the big questions heading into the 2024 season. And I think the best place to start is, of course, at Red Bull. Now, Red Bull, it was an unprecedented season by any standard set before that in F1. 21 victories. The only blotch on their perfect record was, of course, at Singapore when they had an off weekend. And majority of that was cultivated by the brilliance of Max Verstappen. So given how dominant they were in 2023, Sam, should we expect Red Bull's dominance to continue in 2024? I mean, in a word, yes, I, I say, say so, but to put a bit more uh, flesh on the bones, as it were, I think, yeah, everyone expects Red Bull to be ahead again. Like, it's just obvious that if you win 23 of 24 races, you're going to have a head start. They had such an opportunity to look forward to 2024 so much earlier last season. I think it was around the summer break, they were already putting their plans on what they're going to do next year. So that's just a huge head start. They've already had, yes, the other teams would have probably given up a lot earlier and started focusing on 2024, but Red Bull had such an advantage that they've still got that advantage. We, we'll wait and see what, to what kind of degree that is. But the only thing you might say is this will be our third season of having these these regulations. So what is the ceiling of how good these cars can get? Like a Red Bull already there or is there more they can unlock kind of thing? So if, if, if it's a case of the former, you might say, well, other teams can start to catch up, get a bit quote, closer. And we did see a little bit of that last season, especially with McLaren as well. But that was with the context of Rebel hadn't upgraded at all kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think you'd be silly not to expect Rebel to be on top again. Like, having done so well last year, having been so dominant, like, everything points towards them being up ahead, up, up, up the front again. Like, it's just a question of how far ahead down the road they are really kind of thing so I think there's a lot of other teams who are hoping to have sort of that Aston Martin slash McLaren like leap and performance that we saw over the course of last year but we're all just sort of waiting now like someone's gonna get it right someone's gonna get it wrong like it's it's for us on the outside we obviously have no idea what the teams are doing behind closed doors like 
we're all just sort of waiting to see which team comes out on top and which team is going to be that closest to Red Bull. But I think for Red Bull, yeah, they're going to be ahead regardless of um, how the other teams do, just because they had such a huge advantage in 2023 and they had such a big time gap to sort of focus on next year. Exactly that. And, you know, unfortunately... I do agree with you in that regard. If we're sort of looking ahead to 2024, what we think is going to go down, I do think Red Bull, for what it's worth, are going to dominate again next season. So sorry to all the neutrals and the casual fans that were hoping for a bit more excitement next season. I mean, I think we might get that a little bit because there were reasons as well, not just because Red Bull were brilliant, but other rivals that we're expecting more from were not anywhere near as good as we hoped they would be. So there is that element, hopefully, that that will improve for 2024 as far as the show is concerned. But one thing that you mentioned there, Sam, which I think is quite important in terms of looking at the context for 2024, it's the development race. And we know quite well that Red Bull historically are brilliant at developing their car. And, you know, going into the 2024 season, there was the looming handicap that they were going to have to face for breaching the cost cap back in 2021. And obviously that was going to have an impact on their car that started back in October in 2022, ran itself all the way to 2023, which is obviously going to hinder their 2024 car. But, and this is an important factor, whilst we were hoping that that would have an impact on their 2024 car, as you rightly pointed out, the development on their 2024 car started quite early when they realized very quickly in 2023 that they were going to be dominant or at least have control of the majority of the races this se- uh, the season just gone. So they could focus on the 2024 car much earlier than they would have earlier anticipated. So, With all that coming together, any disadvantage that we think Red Bull could have had from that cost cap, perhaps they probably mitigate it, if anything, may still have an advantage on everyone else. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a 10% wind tunnel time. And if you think that's last season, like, would you say Red Bull are at least 10% ahead of every other team? I think you would, yeah. So even if they've got that problem, and I think it's also... like quite a good point to make, is that it's not just the wind tunnel that teams use. Like, the wind tunnel is sort of like a sort of not not a luxury but it's not their main kind of focus like there's so much computer science stuff that goes into it into these cars this year i think it was very telling adrian newey last year i can't remember when he said this but he said they weren't massively too fussed about the wind tunnel just because just like they can build a car in a different way and like like you said like we're sort of expecting that that handicap as it were to sort of have an impact to 2024 rather than 2023 so we'll see how much they've got, like how much they've been able to develop the car. Because also we've got to remember them being constructed championship is again a handicap. They lose much more of their wind tunnel time than the likes of Ferrari, Mercedes and McLaren as well. So yeah, I think like I said, they probably had enough time and they've also got the tools not to have to rely on the wind tunnel as much. And I think Red Bull's wind tunnel is obviously an interesting one because they still use an old RAF base. And I think that sort of, the, the the difficulties of using that has sort of made them focus on other areas and like that's made that side a much stronger. So I think I think they're gonna be fine. Yeah. I think that sort of penalty isn't really isn't really gonna likely to dent their progress kind of thing. Like there's like you said, they're so far ahead that it doesn't really matter that they've got a little bit less time than everyone else. Yeah. In, in a weird way, it kind of makes you a little bit proud to be British in this regard. And uh, I know a lot of our listeners that aren't British probably won't uh, appreciate it. But the fact that you mentioned like it's an old RAF base and the old wind tunnel that they have, the nostalgia and everything behind it. And yet they're still able year after year after year to churn out the car, which more often than not tends to be the class of the competition. So, you know, nice little uh, anecdotal uh, piece of nostalgia there for those of you interested. But But you're absolutely right. You know, Red Bull 
you know, as we've already said throughout this current era of regulations, they've got the concept right from day one. Even if it took us around four or five months to really see that come to life when Ferrari were neck and neck with them, and of course they started to fall away when they had issues with their own car concept. The important thing that you mentioned earlier, which I do want to kind of pinpoint, that gives hope in terms of those that are aiming to challenge Red Bull and hope that they may be able to catch them up, is the the ceiling of these current car concepts in terms of how far they can be developed before you get to a point where everything starts to level out a bit or they've reached the peak. Now, Christian Horner in the past has iterated that Red Bull are relatively close to this uh, ceiling, if you like, and there may be opportunities for some teams to close them up, maybe more towards 2025, but perhaps there is more room to gain in 2024. Given that some of the other teams are now you know, they've converged down that Red Bull concept rather than entertaining failed ones that they've since abandoned in the past. Should we expect later in the season, perhaps if Red Bull were dominant, that that gap will close up quite significantly? Is there room for these teams to find massive gains, which could put them on the tails of Red Bull at least some point later this season? Yeah, I think that's that's likely to happen. Like you said, like teams are starting to not copy Red Bull, but certainly take inspiration from their design. And I think it just happened that Red Bull nailed it straight away like i think obviously agent news had a massive impact in that but compared to the other teams who were sort of trying stuff like thinking it was going to work and it didn't work for whatever reason red bull's main idea was this and it's worked straight away so yeah they immediately as soon as 2022 started they had an advantage yes ferrari started well that year but over the course of the year red bull soon became like the dominant force and like you said like how much can teams improve like i think a few of the teams have said you're not going to beat Red Bull by copying Red Bull. But at the same time, like if Red Bull have by far the best version of this car, like you can make, like you sort of have to swallow your pride a bit and, and sort of take parts of their car you think would well, could work well. Yes, you might try and add your own elements, which you think will make it quicker. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if like even all of the cars next year look a lot similar. Cause that's just sort of what happens as regulations get older and older teams work out what the absolute best is. I, I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we see that Mercedes being so different as last year. I think the Ferrari also is going to be look quite similar to the to the Red Bull card because they themselves have mentioned they had uh, chassis problems last year. So I think this season of all seasons, we're going to see a lot of similar looking cars other than the paint, really. Like we're getting to that point where everyone's accepted that Red Bulls is by far the best design. And what can we do to replicate that kind of thing? Absolutely. And, you know, if we're looking at areas that Red Bull obviously want to focus on for 2024, being able to give Max Verstappen the machinery that he needs to continue the dominance and ruthlessness that he has been demonstrating in 2023 in particular, and to replicate what he achieved in that season, that's going to be a big ask. But of course, you know, Max Verstappen is more than capable of doing that. We have seen new levels to his game in 2023 so it is a scary prospect but I think if there is one area that Red Bull really do need to improve on in 2024 and this is really me nitpicking here it's Sergio Perez isn't it they have to get much more out of Sergio Perez because even if he doesn't mount a title challenge to Max Verstappen and you know for argument's sake I don't think he will personally but there was a huge gulf between the two for the large part of last season. If Red Bull are in a position where they are threatened by rival teams more often than they were last season, they have to get the most out of Checo to protect the advantage that they're currently enjoying, don't they? Yeah, you're right. And I think as much as Max's dominance and performance sort of put pressure on Perez, it also did the opposite. It took a lot of pressure off because Verstappen was so good that he got so many points on his own. I think he, he I'm pretty sure it, off the top of my head, 
he got enough points to win the constructors by himself. Like, so Red Bull weren't in a position where they really needed their second driver to be performing. Like, if we think about next year or this year, sorry, coming up, if they're in a situation where like McLaren or Aston Martin, Ferrari, whoever it is, if they're putting having pressure put on the team, they're going to need Perez to be much better than he was last year. And I think qualifying was definitely the area he was most weak on. Which how many times did he fail to get to Q three and? Yes, he had the car and the race ability to to make up for that on the Sunday for the majority of the time. But if we're, if we're going to be in a situation where it's not as easy to pass, the car's not that much better. Like Red Bull just can't afford to have essentially a passenger. Like they they don't want someone who's just getting not enough points. I mean, when was the last time we had a Red Bull one two? It seems like a long time ago since since we saw both drivers on the podium kind of thing. And like that's not something that should be happening if if the car is that dominant. So yeah. I personally, I've, I've said this a few times, I think my prediction, I wouldn't be surprised to sort of see a mid-season swap with Perez. And I think if he starts the same as he ended 2023, like I could easily see a situation where Red Bull do like they did with Nick DeVries last year and sort of just get rid and say, okay, we're going to probably get Ricardo in. That'd be my, my likely bet. But yeah, I think Perez is, is facing a big year. Like Obviously, it's his, it's his last year of the Red Bull deal. There's, there's some talk that he might retire. There's some talk that he might stay on the Red Bull. But I think his early performances are going to be really crucial to sort of determine what kind of year he's going to have. I think so too. And, you know, it's crazy to imagine a scenario where a team would ruthlessly get rid of a driver half a season in, but it's Red Bull. That's what they do, mm-hmm. even for their sister team at AlphaTauri or, you know, whatever they're going to be called next season. Uh, we still don't have confirmation on that one, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that when we do. But it, it's a really interesting dynamic there for Perez. And, you know, there's been a lot of stories and people saying that it could just be assessed over the next six months. And if he isn't able to deliver, they may remove him like they did with Nick DeVries at AlphaTauri. So there's definitely an onus on that. Um, I mean, a quick one before we move on, Sam. Um, in terms of Perez, how much how much responsibility is on Red Bull to try and make this work? Because it's very easy for them to replace Perez and put someone in arguably the best car on the grid by a mile, even though they've got to go up against Max Verstappen. But for me, I almost feel like if Red Bull have so much control with this car and understand it so well, surely there's metrics there where they can get Perez to drive to a certain standard that, you know, may be hard for him to learn, but just to get that extra performance out, because as I said, the gulf between him and Max is massive. It was like three tenths of a second per lap on average. And that's probably, um, I would say, probably complimentary or inflating Perez's performance rather than what it looked like at this, on the surface. Yeah, and I think, but at a similar point, like what more can Red Bull do? Like, it's very much a driver error. Like, I don't think they're setting up this car exclusively for Stappen. Like, I think there's there's elements of um, both drivers in there, but they'll look at it and say, yeah, we've given you one of the best cars by an absolute mile, and you haven't delivered kind of thing. And I think there's been a lot more patience, I think, with Perez than we've seen with other drivers in the past. Like. He pretty much had a terrible whole year last year. Like, yes, he had some wins. Yes, he had some good performances. But in general, it was underwhelming. And yet, there was no real question from within Red Bull that he'd stay until this year. Like, I think Helmut Marker has obviously always been the more critical of of him. But Christian Horner has very much spoken in favour of Perez. I think it's rare to find a time where Horner hasn't backed up Perez or sort of supported Perez. I think there was a few occasions where immediately after a session, he had a bit of frustration. But in general... Red Bull have been very supportive. Like they've done their absolute best to get the best out of Perez, and it's just not happened. Like there's no benefit for them to having a second driver who's not competitive. Yes, it means you have less like driver in fighting, but at the same time, like 
they want to get as many points as they can. They want to sell these records kind of thing. And like, they have no reason not to help Perez. And I think they did as much as they could. Like they were sort of scratching their head saying, what more can we do? Like it just came down to Perez it, in particularly in qualifying where whatever reason, whatever, if it was a mental thing, if it was a, an ability thing, it just sort of crumbled quite often throughout the season. And that just, that just had a knock on effects on the race really. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens in the coming season. Let's move on to the next big question for 2024. And this comes sort of centered towards the team that I think is the uh, most likely candidate to challenge Red Bull in 2024. And that's Mercedes. Now in 2022, Sam, Mercedes only won one Grand Prix was quite a shock for them um, on their new concept that they thought would be a game changer. Obviously, it wasn't 2023. They stuck with it for a while. It really didn't work out. Then they changed it a little bit. But again, because of the cost cap regulations and stuff of the chassis, they can only change so much. The 2023 car, by comparison, was a bit of a dud as well. So heading into 2024, a lot has changed at the helm. Now, Mike Elliott has moved on. Um, James Allison is back in the technical role at the team. Total Wolf has been saying repeatedly to so many news outlets, I'm sure including your own at Planet F1, that Mercedes are going to change practically everything on this car. So does that mean that they're going to finally get it right in 2024? And in your opinion, how confident are you that Mercedes will finally get this right in 2024, at least to a point where they can challenge Red Bull, not necessarily beat them? Honestly, who knows? Like, um, I think of all the teams on the grid, like Mercedes are the most unknown. Like, They're obviously working on a, like a completely new design for next year like they've said that so many times like so much of it's changing and i think of all the teams it's really hard to predict where mercedes is going to be like you said they might return to that kind of form we saw the last decade or so where they won all those titles but also there's no guarantee of that like it's the same people largely yes you mentioned about the, the swap between elliot and allison but largely the same people working there who've sort of produced these cars the last two years and just not been able to find why it's not working. Like I think the drivers are getting frustrated, especially Hamilton with what, what they've seen kind of thing. And like, I don't know, personally, I, I have no idea what's going to happen with them really. Like it's really hard to predict. Like it could go one or two ways of yes, they'll even nail it and be challenging for wins and titles and stuff like that. Or they might have another year of just mediocrity and not being able to challenge. So that's not much of an answer I appreciate, but at the same time, like I, like I said, they're the most unknown. Like They're the, they're the ones that we're sort of waiting to see what's going to happen next, really. Well, this is a unique position that Mercedes find themselves in because, as we've known them, they have quite often been the team to beat. They have quite often been the team that has navigated their way around regulation changes with a huge amount of success over the last decade or so. Um, it's unprecedented what they've achieved in Formula One with eight straight constructors world championships. And some people still argue they should have had another driver's championship to add to that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but when it comes to being in this position where they are part of the chasing pack and the expectation is on them to be the best candidate to try and join a championship fight and really make a go of it in the same way that Red Bull have been able to do over the last few years, you get to a point where there is pressure, there is doubts, there has been a lot of changes at Mercedes, a lot of people that have gone have now come back and a lot of other people have gone elsewhere. That pressure is really going to take its toll on a team like Mercedes and it makes me wonder, Sam, with the amount of pressure on them and the amount that they are claiming to change, surely there's also a huge risk that because of the changes that they're making, this could create new problems or new potential flaws that they haven't seen yet. Yeah, it could do. Like, yeah, that's always a possibility. Like, I think we go back to the W13 and obviously that 
on completely unforeseen problem of porpoising like that just caught them out of the blue like there's no guarantee they won't have a similar problem like yes they probably got a better understanding of these regulations now but like you said like I don't know, like how many years could a team not be a title winner before you like stop considering them as automatic title contenders? Like we've seen it as, as an example of football. Like Man United, obviously, they won all those titles, and year after year they haven't done. Now they're now they're no longer considered like an automatic title contender. And like, when does that happen for Mercedes? Like one year, yes, that might be a blip, but a second year of that was like quite damaging, saying they haven't really worked out, kind of thing. If it continues in the third year, fourth year, whatever, like you sort of get into that realm of a bit like Ferrari, obviously, because they had this massively successful period in the early 2000s. And yet they slowly started to get a little bit worse, 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 where people maybe aren't expecting them to be a title contender all the time. They'll say they will, like, obviously, because it's Ferrari. But at the same time, like, the realistic expectation hasn't been for them to win the title. Like, when did Mercedes get to that point, you know, after having been so dominant? And that's sort of, that's more of a bigger picture, I guess, kind of thing. Like we'll sort of see over the next few years. But yeah, I think it's sort of do or die now. Like you need to be, you need to, if you want to continue to be like one of the very top teams, you need to start winning races. You need to start getting more podiums. And you need to, you need to start fighting for the title. You can't be having less than half points of what your rival has got. If it was something like that, like you really need to be much better this year. Like, like I said, like one year's a blip, two years maybe, but when it gets to three, it's sort of, it's becoming a trend more than a one-off. Do you know, it's funny, I was going to say Ferrari when you were chucking the football analogy there, because I thought, I mean, I've never known an entity in any sport to always have the um, the tag of potentially in a title fight or capable of winning something. And we always end up overestimating what they're capable of. Now, that's not because Ferrari are, are rubbish. It's more down to the fact that we should expect a lot of them because they should be doing what we're hoping that they will do. They always talk up a big game. Um, in recent times probably not so much but yeah it is a prime example i think in mercedes case though as you rightly pointed out the last couple of years have not been good the regulation change we weren't expecting mercedes to be struggling to be at the front uh, as much as they have done it does create pressure but we can afford them a level of trust and you know that the fact that history does you know pay well to them over the fact that they have been so successful so naturally you're going to imagine that you know, if anyone's capable of getting back, it's probably going to be them. There's no reason why they shouldn't. But as you rightly pointed out, if they're struggling again in 2024, and despite all the changes that they've made to this car, despite finally admitting that their hide pod concept, or even though they said the side pods weren't a big part of it, when they took them off, there were performance gains. So it's almost like, or when they put them back, there were performance gains. So it's like, well, it must have been something. But all of those things are going to add up and questions will start to be asked. So there's definitely a lot of pressure on them in that regard. Um, moving over to the drivers now, Hamilton, what we saw last year, I think was probably Hamilton's best season since 2021. Um, I know that's not a huge gap. 2022 wasn't a great season for him, but 2023, we really saw, particularly in race trim, that Hamilton was definitely on it. And perhaps, um, you know, 2022 he might have been a bit comfortable having George Russell there. And he really started to uh, show what he was capable of and really get himself in the upper echelons. He just really needs the car to demonstrate that. I think the hungry pole was a prime example of what he was capable of. But then we get George Russell. And there's a lot of expectation and hope on George Russell. A lot of potential there. Um, not necessarily to be the next Hamilton, but to be the next big star in British racing and potentially challenge for a world championship. Last season, qualifying pace, no problems at all. 
He matched Hamilton in terms of head to, the head-to-head. He was slightly quicker than Hamilton over one lap if you match the deltas over the course of the season. But in the race trim, there were quite a few mistakes. A little bit unlucky with reliability once or twice. I think Australia springs to mind when he should have had a podium there. Um, but in, in general, he hasn't been up to the standards of his teammates. So for 2024, Sam, we know what we're going to get from Hamilton. He very likely he's going to be on it. Hopefully the car will be able to match that. But George Russell, it's a big year for him if he wants to stake a claim to being the next top dog at Mercedes post-Hamilton. Yeah, you're right. I think George Russell is a bit of a curious case. I mean, like you mentioned, we look back at 2022 and sort of the context around it. Yes, he did beat Hamilton, but it was at a time when this Mercedes car was massively underperforming. And like, if you want to have a sort of a perpet- like to get yourself prepared for a car that's underperforming, you'd go to Williams, obviously, because he was doing, he was showing an ability to get a lot out, out of a, a poor car, really. And obviously that translated really well to Mercedes. We flip over to Hamilton. He's been used to absolute dominant cars all these years, really quick cars. And his, his skill set was probably a little bit different. His skill set was fighting at the front, that kind of thing. 2023, the car gets a little bit better. And also Hamilton probably sort of readjusts his radar a little bit. And like you mentioned, Russell, it was just a very stop-start season. Like he, he made some mistakes kind of thing. I do sort of, I mean, yeah, I, I obviously he's a, he's a good driver, but I, I don't know if he's getting into that sort of that top bracket. Like the, the, the obviously the Verstappen's. I think personally, I think you've got like the Verstappen's, the Hamilton's, Alonso. They're sort of off on their own, but then you've got that next wave of a lot of drivers. So I'm talking about Norris. I'm talking about probably Piastri now. I'm talking about Leclerc. And I think of those, I would say that Russell has the one is one of the most obvious flaws and sort of the flaws he keeps repeating. Like he makes. I, he can be a bit a bit too aggressive. I think we go back to the sprint and back. I'm trying to remember if it was last year or the year before. Yeah, it was, it was last year, 2023, where he had that instant of Max. And it's sort of like, could you be a bit more smarter? Like, he does sort of make a few mistakes kind of thing. And obviously, we saw it in Singapore kind of thing. Like, I think he's still got that in his locker. Whereas the other drivers, maybe excluding Leclerc for obvious reasons, like, I think most of them have a pretty smooth, consistent performance that they put in every time like they'll always give you at least an eight you'd imagine like it's rare looking back over the last year i can't really remember a time where like the likes of norris and verstappen made an obvious mistake but whereas i think russell still tends to do that and i think obviously he's the same age as verstappen he's a few years older than norris so it is a big year i think mercedes obviously were sort of grooming him to be the leading man after after hamilton goes but yeah, like I said, I'm still sort of in two minds about it. I think he is a good driver. and I think he has can produce good performances. But I also think he's got a lot of fundamental flaws. And I think the other drivers just haven't shown recently. Like, So, yeah, maybe he can iron that out. Like, Obviously, if we look at Verstappen, as example, he was a driver who was really aggressive to begin with, made a few mistakes, and he sort of really got that under, under control kind of thing. So it's not impossible, but... Yeah, I think it's a big year. And I, I personally, I think Hamilton is going to beat him easily this year because I think that's just just sort of the levels of driver ability. I think Hamilton's still a few few rungs above Russell yet. Yeah, it's certainly one to keep an eye on this season because, uh, you know, if Hamilton does go and beat Russell as emphatically as you may suggest, then that does raise questions about Russell's credentials to be the top dog at Mercedes in the future. You know, Hamilton, for all his attributes and strengths and, you know, I would say unprecedented longevity, but we're in an era where Fernando Alonso is still driving Formula One cars like he's in his prime. So, you know, 
it's still impressive. But for George Russell, obviously, you know, the short to medium term future has to be to demonstrate to Mercedes that at the very least, he can at least be on his teammates level more often than not. And, you know, when Mercedes need him to produce a result when things are difficult, he can do that. We know Russell's capable of that. We've seen him do it, but it needs to be more regular and perhaps cut some of those mistakes out that have harmed his credibility a little bit last season in particular. Um, let's move on now to another team that we're hoping might take it to Red Bull, but perhaps not as likely to at this point in time is Ferrari. Now, Ferrari went through a transitional year in 2023, it's fair to say. Matty Bonotto was removed before the start of the season. We kind of saw that one come in. Fred Vasseur steps in. Of course, we can't hold Fred accountable for the majority of last season based on the car's characteristics because it wasn't a car he was overseeing. However, moving on to 2024 now, if we look to the latter end of 2023 or the second half of the season, at least, I think maybe post-Japan, if you like, Ferrari were making significant progress. Strategically, they looked better. On an operational level, they looked better. Certain fundamental characteristics of the car that they were struggling with, they did seem to be not necessarily getting on top of them, but finding answers to questions that had eluded them for a lot of 2023 and probably all of 2022 as well. Couple that with the only win that wasn't scored by a Red Bull car. Maybe Charles Leclerc will argue he should have had another one at Vegas. I'm kind of hyping them up. I understand that. And, you know, we were talking about this a little while ago, Sam, that why are we hyping Ferrari up Then they never deliver? And yet I'm doing it again. Um, It's just a natural cycle, unfortunately. I'm sure I'll be looking like an idiot in a few months' time. Nevertheless, are Ferrari, at this point in time, Sam, on the right path? Not necessarily to become a world championship winning team again, but at least making progress compared to where they were in 2023? Yeah, I think they are. Like, I would also say, those of you listening to the audio podcast, Adam is wearing a big Ferrari shirt, so that's probably why those opinions came there. <laughs> but um, I'm probably <laughs> a little bit less optimistic. Like, I think 2023 was a good year, and I think... It wasn't a disaster by any means. Like you said, it was a transitional year. Like, but like at the same time, Ferrari have had quite a few of those of late. But I think, like you said, Fred came in the start of January. He's not going to have a big influence on that on that twenty twenty three car. But if anything, I think they needed a year where they sort of made less stupid mistakes. Like twenty twenty two was a year full of terrible strategy decisions. I don't think off the top of my head, I can't. Remember. There's not obviously there's not one that's standing out immediately to me that happened last year. Like they got that under control. And I think, like I mentioned a bit before, like that car, I think they admitted they hit a brick wall where it just, uh, they couldn't do more to it to improve. And I think it was interesting that Haas had a very similar problem. So clearly it was something about that Ferrari chassis like that wasn't working, that had a, had a ceiling that had a limit that stopped them doing that. So they've said they're going to have a different design in 2024 next year. And I think it's always hard to like sort of guess what a good season for Ferrari would be. Like it's Ferrari, so they should be winning the, winning the championship obviously but at the same time like you have to be realistic and say anyone other than Red Bull is probably not going to win the title next year just because of the way the last season ended but I think Ferrari do have the the ability to be one of the main challengers I personally I put McLaren above them but I think Ferrari are definitely probably my third pick of sort of team that I expect to be a little bit more competitive be, uh, behind Red Bull and McLaren but yeah I think Fred's doing a good job I think he's sort of steady the ship and just sort of made it a little bit less dramatic than we saw the last few years before he arrived. So I think 2024 is just going to be further progress, I'd imagine. He's he's now been there for a year. He's going to have a bit more influence on the car, on the organisation. And I think they've been teasing some staff hirings. So we'll see 
who's coming in because at the moment it's been a very much a one-way door like we've seen a lot of people go out the door we want to see who's coming in so yeah i sort of predict a good year i wouldn't be surprised if they finish like p2 or p3 and be a little bit more competitive but it's ferrari so <laughs> all of this could be rubbish they could explode and do horrendous so we'll see well no this is it and i think this is an important point because you know, if we looked towards the back end of last season and the last, like post Japan onwards, if you assessed all of the teams and the credentials to challenge Red Bull going forward, even though I think you're right to point out that McLaren, in terms of the car concept, have it have the right idea, Ferrari as a team looked pretty good, or at least Fred Vasseur's Ferrari looking pretty good shape for that. Now, the problem with that is it's Ferrari. We've been here, we've done this before. I'm quite literally wearing or bought the t-shirt, and we end up seeing Ferrari flounder more than flourish. Um, for me, I wouldn't call it a prancing horse if I was assessing Ferrari's chances for 2024, how they're looking. But I think it's, there's a nice gentle trot going there. They are making steady progress, if I can make that metaphor, if you like. Um, but we've got to wait and see. I, I think we need to temper expectations. And by we, I mean myself, because I think, Sam, you've, you're probably more accurate than I am in this regard. Um, but... There is there is room for encouragement there, and you know the drivers seem to be happier. Leclerc in particular seemed to be much happier with where Ferrari ended twenty twenty three from where it started. So that can only be a good thing. And signs we know signs his capabilities. He's always going to progress. He's always going to get better, and we know what we get from Carlos Signs. So it's encouraging, but I I do think you know they do need to make some more progress before we can consider them a serious championship challenger again. And I think that's probably a good place to leave Ferrari at. McLaren, let's move on to them. Now, as you rightly pointed out, they look like they had the second best car for most of the second half of last season. I think after Abu Dhabi, they probably were back to fourth again. But of course, the onus is going to be on 2024. There's a lot of pressure on them to kind of take that next step. Can they do that, Sam, in a word? Yeah, I think McLaren are going to have a great year. I think if you look at it, like, yes, the car was good last year. I think they've got two of the best drivers. Like I recently did an article about ranking the drivers pairing. I did put Red Bull top just purely because of how good Verstappen is. But I think that those two have potential to be up right up there in a few years' time. Like Norris is already an established driver. We've seen what he can do. He just needs to get that win and sort of cross that hurdle. Piastri had such a good rookie season. Like he shocked everyone of how how at ease he was, which is the most impressive thing. Like he just he seemed absolutely fine with everything. Like. I think about 80% of the tracks were new to him and he was still fine on it. We still got a lot of points. He got that sprint victory in Qatar, obviously. I think both those two as a pair are really good. And I think you could easily make an argument they're above Mercedes and they're above Ferrari and sort of in talent alone kind of thing. And then you've got the sort of the organisational stuff that's going around it. I think they really are a team on the up and up. Like we were talking about all these great signings they've made. So they've got Rob Marshall, who's had a lot of time at Red Bull. They've got David Sanchez, who's had a lot of time at Ferrari. Like behind the scenes, they're making a load of work and like that's going to help a lot. Like those two last names haven't joined until the 1st of Jan, so only a few days ago as we record this. So they're not going to have a huge impact on the 2024 car as it starts. But as the season goes on, they're definitely going to give their ideas. And I think Rob Marshall in particular, obviously coming from such a winning organisation, like, what he's going to impart on the teams can be a great, great addition for them. And I think it's hard not to look at McLaren and think that's a team that's improving. That's a team that's taking good steps to be where they should be. And I think, like I mentioned a bit before we talk about Ferrari, I think they're definitely my firm favourite to be the team that challenges Red Bull the most. Like that was the case for pretty much two thirds of the season last year after they bought the upgrade. So yeah, 
I think they're a good team. I think they've got good people in charge. And I think they've got good drivers, which ultimately will add up, you'd imagine, to a good season. And this is the thing as well, to couple that point, Sam, is that when you look at McLaren and you look at Aston Martin, two teams that had very polar opposite seasons. You know, Aston Martin were brilliant out of the gate in the first half of 2023, but they, they struggled to sustain that development and fell away a little bit before having a mini resurgence towards the back end of 2023. Whereas McLaren, they had the opposite season. They started off poorly. They obviously acknowledged that they were in the wrong direction and they changed that quite early on. They were very open and honest. And the turnaround that they produced was up there with probably one of the best turnarounds I think I've ever seen from a team in season. I really do stand by that. Um, It was remarkable. And because of that, it gives you encouragement that McLaren are on the right trajectory here. There's a few things they need to iron out. And I'm sure in particular, the slow speed corners, the car was still you know, quite heavy and quite lethargic in those areas, but that's something I'm sure they can iron out going forward. But it was very encouraging. And they've got two very young, very highly talented drivers, especially Lando Norris at the moment. I'm sure Oscar Piastri is going to have a very strong season as well. There's plenty of signs there. You know, in addition to the backroom changes you already mentioned with with Marshall and Sanchez and with Andrea Stella at the helm, these three people know how to be successful in particular. And the team itself it is growing, it's developing. There's a lot of reasons to be on Team McLaren this season, to be excited about what they could produce. The only thing that concerns me is the infrastructure. Now, I know that sounds crazy because McLaren, especially the MTC, it, some of it is up there with anything in F1. You know, it's the highest standard. But there are certain elements like the wind tunnel, for example. You know, the history of the relationship they've had with Toyota sharing their wind tunnel in Cologne for so many years. They're still lacking a little bit at this point in time to the lead teams. Is that going to be an area that could cost them? Not necessarily in terms of uh, what the car is going to be like when it comes out of the blocks, but perhaps developing that onwards when they are, could be in a position of challenging for race wins in 2024. I think any other year I might have agreed with you, but last year they, they did bring their wind tunnel back. So it's now in the MTC. So I think that's going to be a huge positive for them. Like they like you said, they used to have to ship all their parts to Cologne, wait for the results and come back. But now it's fully fully back into the MTC, it's fully on board. And I think that's going to be a huge part. And I think I sort of, I sort of have to disagree with you. Like, I think they are perfectly set up to run a team like that. And like, I think they've got all the facilities now. Like I mentioned, Red Bull is still using a wind tunnel for the RAF. So like you can get by with not the ideal, ideal parts of your assembly. But I think McLaren now, they've made a big effort to get that wind tunnel back. And I think we're going to start seeing... That's something that I think got turned on like sort of last summer. So we're now going to start seeing that come out in the 2024 car. So yeah, I think I have to just, just go in there. I think they've, they've got the infrastructure, they've got the staff and they've got the, the drivers in place to have a good year, you'd imagine. Well, I'm even more excited for them now uh, <laughs> learning that. So that's great. No, um, there you go. Completely uh, bust my earlier point. But point being um, with McLaren, I think I do want to focus on the drivers briefly. Oscar Piastri had a pretty good season. I think he's rookie season was pretty good of course you know there were areas for him to improve upon he was the first to admit to that which has often been one of his most uh, amicable traits as a driver what does a good season look like for Oscar Piastri next season how much does he have to challenge Lando Norris for control of the team for it to be considered a successful second season um difficult I think personally for him it's just more of the same like I don't think he can be too caught up in trying to beat Lando like he obviously did very well last year beat him in some races I think the better thing for him to do is focus on his driving like I think 
looking at last season, I think his main problem was sort of keeping the tyres alive, keeping them going, which obviously that's going to be something a rookie struggles with. You'd expect a rookie to have that the problem. Like they might have the pace straight out of the gates. That's probably going to happen, but it's the other parts of F1 that are harder kind of thing. So yeah, I think personally, I'd, if I was Piastri or if I was advising Piastri, it'd just be like, focus on yourself to do more of the same, be continue to be more impressive. You're now going to tracks where mostly other than China, I think other than China, he he's, he's driven on, he's raced on, he's got, he's got experience there. So, maybe like don't focus yourself on Lando like Lando's a few more years down the road from you kind of thing like yes you're going to want to be him because he's your teammate but at the second time at the same time it's your second season in F1 like you, no one's expecting the absolute world of you just yet like continue to try and get podiums continue to try and maybe get a win if, if, if you can kind of thing so yeah I think he'd do best not to focus on what Lando's doing yeah I, I think so too and you know you you rightly mentioned China obviously a track that he hasn't driven at yet in, in particularly in Formula One but what it reminded me of what he did in Japan last season and I think this kind of epitomizes how impressive Oscar Piastri was in his debut season even if you look at the point standings and think oh well Lando absolutely demolished him it really wasn't as simple as that because he went to that circuit hadn't driven a lap of that circuit in his career at all in any other series goes there puts it on the front row of the grid when we had Max Verstappen churning out probably the best qualifying lap in 2023 that we'd seen. And he still finished on the podium in that race. And I know McLaren's traits of that car was specifically brilliant for that circuit. But that is still an incredible achievement for Oscar Piastri. And I think that highlights the kind of driver that McLaren have invested heavily in. I mean, it cost $20 million for McLaren to buy Ricardo out of his contract, get Piastri into that car. It was a huge vote of confidence. And I think what we saw in that race in particular is absolutely why McLaren have bankrolled him in. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the decision not only to get rid of Ricardo, but also to sort of go through the stuff of getting getting Oscar Piastri out of Alpine. I mean, obviously, in the end, he didn't have a contract there because of the way Alpine did it. But that was vindicated very early on last year. Like He had put in enough performances to say, yes, that was a good decision. Like Even from probably Silverstone onwards when he started... He had the same car as Norris. Like he was showing them what he can do, and I think they they'll be delighted. I mean, they obviously are delighted. They've extended his contract. Like I think he has behind Max the second longest contract in F1 currently. So that's a real sign of sort of how much faith they have in him. And I think next year or this year, rather, he's just going to improve and improve. And I think I wouldn't put like wins past him. Like that's definitely I think something he could do. We'll just sort of wait and see if he gets the chance to. And does that create unnecessary pressure on? Lando Norris because you know we've already just mentioned there Sam you've just mentioned that Piastri had extended his contract to McLaren they've obviously shown faith in him and, and absolutely right to Norris's contract from what I understand is up until 2025 and you know there does come a time where McLaren may look at that situation and think well if Lando's not going to commit long term to us as much as we support him and as highly as we regarded him for his entire F1 career and even before he came into F1 there is a scenario here where if Oscar Piastri really challenges Norris and Norris isn't able to keep him at arm's length, he could be under pressure from the team where they may start to allocate more resource to back in Piastri when they may not know if Lando Norris wants to commit to this team long term or not. Yeah, I mean, that that's something you can definitely see happening. I think if you look at sort of McLaren's past, the way they've, the, since they've um, swapped ownership, obviously, like... I think they've always been quite good at still treating outgoing drivers quite fair. I'm looking back to signs. Obviously, his move to Ferrari was announced. I'm forgetting the, the timeline exactly, but it was very early on. It may even before the, the last season started. Like they didn't completely ignore him. Like they were still helping. 
even with Ricardo, like when they knew they were going to get rid of him, they're still helping kind of thing. So if we get to a situation where Norris hasn't committed for whatever reason, I, I can't see a situation where McLaren just wipe their hands of it. I think they're still going to help a little bit. Yes, they're not going to start telling about stuff 2025 and onwards kind of thing, but I think they'll still help in that regard. But in terms of what it means to Norris, like this is sort of new ground for him. Like if we look back at his career, he was a, he was very young. Like when he with signs, like he was he was a rookie, obviously, so he's dealing with that. I think signs. I might be wrong about. I'm pretty sure signs beat him for points every year. I could be wrong about that. Um, then Ricardo comes in, and um, obviously we all know having Ricardo it was pretty much an easy ride for Norris for whatever reason. He liked that car much more better. And then Piastri comes in, and sort of I don't know. You could almost look at it as sort of how. Alonso felt in 2007 when he moved to McLaren, he was probably expecting a bit of an easier ride. And then this rookie comes out of nowhere, he's really quick and he's doing really well. Like, But obviously this time it's, it's Piastri rather than Hamilton. This year, I think he's going to want to prove that he's still the quickest. Like, they, like McLaren have always known for having this like young, amazing driver. And for up till now, that's been that's been Norris. But now obviously there's an even younger one kind of thing. So he's going to want to like show, yes, he beat him quite comfortably for points last year, but the win, the sprint win went to Piastri kind of thing. Again, Norris probably won't be too fussed on that. Like he's got focus on himself. Like he, in his mind, he's competing against Max kind of thing. He's not competing against Piastri. And I think just that first win, he needs to get that first win and that's going to open a lot of doors for him. Yeah. I think the word uncomfortable was thrown about quite a bit when Lando was asked about uh, Oscar Piastri and that, you know, it's a new challenge for him. It's something he's not been used to. He's often been the young up and coming teammate, or at least someone that didn't face a serious threat, especially when he had Ricardo as his teammate. I think it's fair to say that, you know, 95% of the time, Ricardo was not able to match him. This is a new scenario, which could make things a little bit uncomfortable for Lando. And if he was comfortable with his teammate situation, hopefully this level of discomfort may bring out the best of him or may bring out another level, which could result in a race win. Fingers crossed, of course, for Lando in that regard. Uh, but let's move on to Aston Martin. Now, we've already talked a lot about McLaren making the step up in the latter half of 2023. Aston Martin did that at the start of 2023. And as the season went on, and as we've discussed already, it started to teeter out and it became a little bit more lukewarm. But when you assess the whole season, I think Mike Crack said it, when you look at it as a summary, it was a good, it was a good season. When you start to look at the detail, Obviously, there are some problems that needed to be addressed. In terms of their credentials for what they could achieve in 2024, Sam, do you think Aston Martin will make that next step up? And by that, I mean not only producing a good car, but sustaining that over the course of the season. Yeah, I think this is entirely new ground for Aston Martin. Like the other teams we were talking about, yes, it might be a long time ago, but they have won titles. They have done stuff like that. Like, they've been a successful organisation, whereas... Aston Martin went from someone who was P7 in 2022, if I'm not wrong. They suddenly shot up and like there's a different challenge trying to be a title contender and sort of developing the car. I think they were very honest, like half of the season sort of said, yeah, we made mistakes with development and sort of we've now got to spend time undoing them so we can go forward again. And I think it's just they're going to have to get used to being a top team and like what that demands, like what that happens. Like you look around there, the people doing doing the behind the scenes of the organization like there's not a load of like obviously title winning talents obviously dan fowler's with red bull quite a long time but other than that like mike crack obviously was sort of new to f1 he hasn't had a title winning um sort of seasons in here yes he's had a different motorsport career kind of thing but still there's a lot of new people who i do think i i do think are competent but they've just got to get used to like 
what being a title contender means. And I think if we go back to like, like you said, like last season was a great season for them. Like regardless of how it ended, to make that huge jump, it was unbelievable, really. And it was only sort of until McLaren did similar, people stopped talking about it. Like, and I, I wrote some like at some point towards the end of last year, I said. 2023 be a success depending on how 2024 is like if they've learned their mistakes if they've spent time working out what they did wrong and like how not to do that then i think yeah 2023 is a great stepping stone onto onto further things really yeah i mean it's a tough one because when you make the comparison between aston martin and mclaren if you ask me which season would i have rather had probably would rather have had the mclaren one because I'm looking to 2024. If I judge 2023 as a base and, you know, you look at the highs, like, you know, the podiums that Fernando Alonso had, yes, there's an argument to be made that Aston Martin probably should have beat McLaren last year. But as we saw, Aston Martin had one driver in particular that was delivering. The other one wasn't so much, at least not consistently. McLaren had both their guys on it. So, you know, there's, there's arguments to be made for either side. But for Aston Martin, there is that added pressure that whilst they were able to figure out to some degree through a lot of trial and error where their problems were at the back end of 2023 there is going to be an increased expectation that if they are the real deal that a lot of people hope that they will be and and some people have invested for them to be including Lawrence Stroll in particular they have to make sure that this 2024 car is going to be at the very minimum where it was last season and beyond that they may have to try and develop it to the point where they could challenge Red Bull and for me that does create pressures, not necessarily to their current driver lineup, but there are probably quite a few drivers out there that have contracts that only last for the next couple of years that will be keeping a very close eye on Aston Martin to see if they are the real deal or not. Because if they are, that could be a very tantalizing prospect for a lot of good drivers in 2026. Yeah, I agree. Like that's definitely a seat. Like I think Alonso is the, the proof is in the pudding really. Like he's shown that this is a seat that can win podiums that can maybe challenge for races like it's become a very attractive seat all of a sudden like you're right there's going to be a lot of drivers who sort of say okay they've proven they can do it over a couple of seasons now i want to get in on that kind of thing yeah and and that's assuming that fernando alonso is not going to be driving in 2026 but we know he will we're just not sure where yet it's probably going to be aston martin if anywhere but uh and, and of course we don't know what's going to happen with Lance Stroll. i mean we always say jokingly he's got the safest seat in f1 but um you know there have been some stories that suggest that may not necessarily be as true as it once was uh let's move on to alpine now sam i'm going to be blunt here should we really care about alpine in 2024 and, and I, I don't mean that to be harsh or rude to them, but they need to give us a reason to get on excited about their prospects, especially after what went down in 2023. Yeah, you're right. I think they're sort of, they're in a no man's land where they're not slow enough to get caught in that bottom, bottom third or whatever it is, but they're not quick enough to sort of attack the top five. Like, I think they've got two good drivers. I think they're both proven to be competent drivers. They can have a, have a really good day. They've obviously both won races, but, um, yeah, it's just something about the team, like they sort of stumble. They're pretty much Ferrari, but French, really. They sort of stumble around, like making mistakes kind of thing. And obviously 2023 was a mad year for Alpine. Like they obviously sacked their team principal and sort of their longest serving team member halfway through the year, made them do the last race anyway kind of thing. Like it was a bizarre situation. They had a situation where they did like an interim team principal who's now going to stay on for next year. And I think they could honestly do just sort of a quieter year, like sort of just not being the headlines for the wrong reasons kind of thing. Like I, like I said, they've got two good drivers. 
how much they can develop that car and make it better we'll see kind of thing but there's no reason they can't do that like i think obviously we've got the the power unit problems as well like it was it was well talked about that the renault power unit was down on the other three and obviously they're the only team that runs it so you're the only team that you can sort of gauge it on but yeah i mean yeah you're right like looking at the looking at the whole this whole of the grid it's hard to find where alpine are going to be other than that p6 spot where unless they start getting challenged by the the ones below them i think they're going to stay there because I, I can't see them making that leap because if we're, we're imagining they're gonna have to make a leap anyway to get up to to aston martin whoever is fifth last year but then aston martin would have made a leap so it's that kind of thing where they might get to the situation where they're as quick as the cars last year but the other teams have moved on so who knows like let's see like let's sort of wait and see like i know there's been a lot of changes at Ren- uh, alpine and sort of how they operate whether that starts playing sort of into their hands as, the, as 2024 goes on we'll see but like i said i mean they're not they're not the most boring team on the grid i think that firmly goes to alpha male whatever they are these days but <laughs> i think alpine is sort of um you sort of want them to be better than they are is what i'm trying to say yeah no i i agree and I absolutely agree in the fact that the, probably the best quality or the most redeemable quality about Alpine is their driver lineup. I think it's a very strong lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not enough really to galvanize the interest. And, you know, again, it's one of those teams that obviously I've not been to many races live, but the ones I have been, I've not seen too many Alpine uh, fans or any Alpine merch running around like it, it's very much um, all the other teams and obviously you get the occasional Haas fan that you really have to look in the crowd for but that is quite a special moment when you do find them um, when it comes to Alpine it, it was always it always felt like an exercise to me Sam that it was all about it you know more exposure for this Alpine brand now Alpine have been around for quite a few decades it's not like you know, Haas come into F1 and it's like, oh, look at us, we're new, we're American, look at us. Like Alpine have been around for a long time. And even now, I don't think, we probably say this now, there's probably somebody, I'm pretty certain there's someone that will listen to this podcast and think, Alpine are a car manufacturer? Mm-hmm. Like it should be a works team, but we know it's not. We know it's it's still under Renault at Enstone um, and, and the Renault group there under Luca De Mayo. And of course now Bruno Faman is now in that role after succeeding Otmar Jaffna, who got sacked basically for, well, not just poor performance, but for pointing out the flaws in the Alpine process. And obviously Lauren Rossi throwing his weight around. And there are so many different cogs to this and so many different chains in what's gone wrong with this 100 race project that we keep getting re-quoted uh, or kept, keeps getting pushed back to the start point again. My point is, is that, you know, with all of that going on, it's hard to really get invested and also to believe that Alpine not only are capable, because I think the people that work there in terms of the people at the factory and the drivers are more than capable of taking to the team back to where it should be. I just don't see the vision and the ambition in those above that are making these decisions to really drive that and try and make it a reality. And for that reason, um, not to pun Dragon's Den, I'm out on that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they're sort of a company that are in two minds, really. Like, obviously the people who make the decisions about Alpine at the very top level, the same people who are like running Renault and like running a car company that sells road cars is hard enough as it, as it is. If you think back to the other, other teams that make road cars, like they're sort of entirely different compartments kind of thing. They're separated. That's all fine. Like you mentioned the Alpine, obviously. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I sort of still question the logic behind doing that. Like the Alpine, they sell about, I don't know. I can't remember. It's like four different models of, 
a car like it's they're all sports cars kind of thing like it's a very specific market kind of thing and i yes obviously ferrari do similar but it's ferrari and mercedes obviously sell a lot of different cars like it does seem a bit weird and i think for like brand recognition yes it gets alpine out there but at the same time I've often heard that they don't sell these cars in a lot of the places that F1 races to. So like, why are you doing it? Like, You don't need to do that. And I think the average person on the street probably doesn't know that Alpine's Renault. Like, that's probably not something they put together. And I think that doesn't help. But obviously, this, this is all commercial kind of thing. Like, we're, we're probably not the best people to speak about that. But yeah, I think... But, but the fact that we are talking about it is, is, is kind of the point, isn't it? The fact mm. that we, you know, we're trying to justify this. But what we should be talking about is a works a French-based works team that, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, was bottom of the class of all the works teams last season by far. Even if they're running their own little category, it's still not a success. And that's kind of the problem, isn't it? It's a works team that doesn't behave like a works team. And, you know, it's the opposite of Aston Martin. They've got the branding involved. They've got the, the company involved uh, to a certain degree, of course. But overall, it, it's, a, it's a works F1 team with that branding that is acting like a works team. Whereas Alpine, it's a, it's a works team that's acting like a, a brand more than an F1 team. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's, it sort of depends what kind of mantra you have. Like, are you racing to sell cars or are you selling cars to keep going racing? Like, I think that's, I don't know. Obviously, like, they're only the ones at the top level to sort of understand, like, what their main goal is. But like I said, they just sort of need a clear focus. Like, it's been, over the last year, it's been a lot of, like, toing and froing of sort of what they're trying to achieve and i think if they just settled on it and sort of stuck with it and say let's do it kind of thing like if they start making right decisions to sort of get the good people in charge then i'm sure it will it will start to show on the track yeah absolutely you can tell i'm still bitter about how uh, badly they did in my predictions because i thought they were going to do really well sam and they were nowhere near so i'm hoping that if i talk them down now they might be in a championship fight in 2024, of course. <laughs> I think they're for, yeah. similar. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. If, I if say this bring is back Renault. Like, yeah. The yellow and black was beautiful. It the was, yellow and black was Carter's era. So good. Yeah, well, absolutely. And we all remember Alain Prost's damning in- incitement of mm-hmm. an assessment of the team last season when they parted ways. And uh, yeah, Alain, the professor, turns out to be uh, right on the money at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, let's move on to uh, two teams who... Um, I, I don't want to throw them in the same boat as Alpine in terms of should we care about them. But I do feel that in particular Sauber, which is now, of course, the stake F1 team, uh, but it's still Sauber technically. And Haas in particular, both of those teams had um, disappointing 2023 campaigns. I think the assessment was uh, could have done better. And I think for different reasons, they didn't. Um the same sort of question, Sam, in, in terms of or Salva or Stake, whatever we want to call them, and Haas, the two teams that will obviously have their sights on trying to have better 2024 campaigns. But the question probably is, should we really expect that of them or should we just expect them to fall back into the backdrop as they kind of did last season? Yeah, I mean, both those teams are quite tricky to sort of judge i think they're a little bit different obviously with sauber or stake they're sort of just waiting for Audi to arrive and they've got this weird two-year period and i think they've been so disappointed for so many years like when was the last time they showed like any kind of promise kind of thing like last season in particular like it's just so forgettable i couldn't tell you a single highlight of their season like what they did other like the highlights of their season came from what bossas was doing away from the track like that was the most interesting <laughs> part of them last year but 
Still yeah. hasn't released a calendar yet, which disappoints me. But nevertheless, oh, he has. I'm sure he missed come. it. Oh, is he? Oh my yeah. god, yeah. Oh, get on your you Christmas list. Well, it's too late now, but you should have been on your Christmas list. I'll put, yeah. Uh, do you know what? This is how out of the loop I've been over the Christmas holidays. It's been crazy. Missing the I big can... news. Oh, the, man. The big boss ass news, as he called right. it. I'm going on to Google right now. You're going to get on I... eBay? Get one off there? Might have to. Might have to. <laughs> Valtteri, yeah. Anyway, away from so... his uh, naked bum <laughs> that's been seen t- for 12 months. Um, yeah, there's just not, like, I think there's just, they're sort of waiting for Ali to arrive. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with this new sponsorship whether that's just a branding deal or whether they actually have some goals they want to achieve and i think i mean i've got like nothing to say about them i'm trying to think of something interesting to say about them but they've just been a very poor team for the last few years and like i don't think until we get audi in it's going to be any different so yeah that's that that i'll just put sabre aside just they're there they exist it's more interesting to watch what bottas is doing away from the track currently than what they're doing on the track with Haas. I think they're a different one because I think they they probably put more effort into it, and I think they just some, sometimes make mistakes, kind of thing. Like whatever, like if there's one problem they need to solve, and if this is one thing that was on Gunstein's wish list for Christmas, it was to work out how not to just destroy tires. Like that was their real big problem in um, in twenty twenty three. And it really hurt Nico Hulkenberg because obviously he did so well in qualifying, he got into Q three so many times. And then he just had absolutely no race pace because the car just ate its own tyres and that was it. I think if you could offer Gunter Steiner the same car, but it doesn't destroy its tyres, I think he might take that. Because like, it wasn't a bad car. It just it couldn't last more than a few laps without destroying the tyres. So I think that's their goal. And I think they said, like I mentioned earlier with Ferrari, like obviously they buy a lot of their parts for Ferrari and they found they had some issues as well. So whether that Ferrari improvement has knocked down on Haas, we'll see. But... It was another P10, if I'm right, with Haas last year, like another poor year. And I think they're sort of coming to a point now, like I think this is going to be their ninth season, if I'm correct, in Formula 1. Somewhere around that, I could be completely wrong on that number. But they've been there for a while now. Yeah, they've been there for a while now. So it's sort of now questioning, like, what comes next? Like, what is the purpose of it? Like, what what do you hope to achieve kind of thing? Because we're at a point in the year where, probably in the, in F1 history, where a lot of the bottom teams have sort of now got bigger plans, like Williams, obviously, AlphaTauri, whoever they, what they've rebranded to, like a lot of those bottom markers don't want to be bottom markers anymore. They want to start pushing up, and if Haas are not careful, they might get left left behind. Yeah, and I think in terms of Haas, unlike Sauber in particular, there's a lot of good people at Sauber. I shouldn't really talk them down, but at Haas, you can really see that ambition and desire. They just don't have not always have the resource, not necessarily the money, because I, I don't think that's an issue like it used to be, but it's more the technical resource that they so desperately need to try and make, not only make developments actually meet their deadlines in terms of, you know, what they're trying to have turn up at the circuit when they want it to also meeting their targets. Um, you know, something we heard rumors Alpine are actually struggling to do, which is obviously quite worrying over the winter, but in terms of Haas, it does feel that they just need something a little bit more help or something to go right for them to actually have a good campaign. And, you know, Gunther Steiner was asked a lot about this and he is quite hopeful that the Ferrari is going to be quite competitive in 2024 because if the Ferrari is competitive, all that technical information and parts that filter down to Haas under their partnership or agreement that they have, um, Haas are going to have a good car as well. And I think we saw that in 2023. You know, 2022 Ferrari at the start of the season, it was the fastest car. Haas had a very competitive car. Kevin Magnussen coming back to F1, nearly getting a podium, um, you know, finishing P5. Obviously, it teetered out over the course of that season. But 2023, 
Ferrari's car struggles. They have struggles with their tyres. And it's no surprise that Haas were a long way from understanding the issues with their cars. So I think in a way, Sam, it, it could hinder on whether or not Ferrari actually resolve a lot of their issues and they can filter that information and technology over to Haas. Yeah, you're right. Like the, the improvements that Ferrari make will have a knock-on effect. We're still in, a, still in a, the rule set where you can buy a lot of your car from another team, which I think Avatar would do more next year at Red Bull. So yeah, you're right. Like any improvements that Ferrari make to the engine, I mean, obviously there's a freeze on, so there won't be a huge amount of improvements to the engine, but mainly the chassis, like whatever parts they fix will sort of have a knock-on effect and Haas hopefully will reap the benefits as long as they sort of sort out their own problems with their chassis. Yeah. So to summarise in terms of those two teams, as far as Sauber or Stake are concerned, not quite sure what the expectation or the plan is for that for the next two years. But, you know, two more years until we get Audi coming into the sport. And even then, they're probably not going to hit the ground running until they're settled in. Um, definitely got to get the Bottas calendar. I don't know why I haven't done that yet. So, yeah, I'll definitely make sure to do that. And then as Haas is concerned... Um, pretty much hopefully that they'll have a better 2024 i hope they do because no one wants to see anyone straggling and you know Haas are great at what they do gunfer steiner people run through walls for him so yeah hopefully better fortunes for them uh williams let's move on to them the final big question for 2024 williams had a great season uh james vowels arguably one of the best team principals last season you know in terms of value for money williams did a fantastic job alex albon one of the stars of last season a lot of good things to hopefully propel it to have a great 2024. Can you see Williams making progress in 2024? And by progress, I mean not only sustaining a P7, but maybe even challenging the likes of Alpine, for example, who are probably that next step in terms of their progress. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I must preface this by saying the camera I'm using to record this is about to die. So my Williams bit might be a bit shorter than the rest I've talked about. But yeah, Again, I think they're similar to McLaren, where they've got a lot of good things going for them. I think James Vowles is obviously a very smart guy. I think Pat Fry, who they brought in from Alpine last year, is a very smart guy. And I think if you talk about infrastructure, like they're probably the team that are lacking the most. I mean, James Vowles absolutely loves talking about CapEx because he wants to improve the growth HQ. So I think that's the only thing that might hold them back. Drivers, I think Alex Albon's really good. I'd definitely put him up there, sort of the, I don't know, like the Gazi, Ocon kind of level. Like he's shown he's really good. There's a question mark about Logan Sargent. Of course, there is. Like He was the last driver to get renewed. He's still very young. He looks like a driver who perhaps came into F1 a bit too early. But yeah, I think if they can get the speed they had on the straights, but also be a bit quicker in other portions, because you can't just rely on being a high-speed, quick car, can you? Like you need, to, you need to be a bit quicker around a lot of different tracks. So yeah, that's my very quick, brief Williams subject before I die and leave you. <laughs> I think we're probably better off ending it there. I, I, I will say, I think this is going to be a big year for Williams and they do need to show more progress. Hopefully that they will. I think they're absolutely going to do it. And it could be big to not only making that next step, but keeping Alex Albon long-term because I'm sure there are a lot of teams that will think if Alex has another good year, he could be a good driver to put into their team. So I think that's going to be quite important. I feel like I've done Williams a disservice there, leaving them last, but I'm sure we have plenty to talk about. Um, but I think that's all we've got time for before Sam's camera <laughs> runs out. So I'll try and wrap this up quickly. You can follow Sam at Sam Cooper underscore on Twitter. And of course, check him out at, at Planet F1 as well, at Planet underscore F1. I'll leave all of that in the show notes and in the description on YouTube. But let me know your thoughts, guys, on the big questions for 2024 in the YouTube channel. Hit me up in the comment section. Let me know your thoughts for 2024. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. Until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, please stay safe. We'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 
DNF1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably doing a DNF1. Yes, Bish Bash Boss. There we go. See you later, guys. Podcast Network.